listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles. Philippians, our last message on the book of Philippians here. I believe it's 17 messages that we've gone through. And uh, we're looking at Philippians chapter 4. Years ago, Charlotte and I and the kids went on a trip to Mexico to Puerto Vallarta. And we were told by people who had gone before us, make sure you go to this certain supermarket. You've got to go there because they have these rotisserie chickens there that you can buy at the supermarket. That will just blow you away. You will never have tasted better chicken in your life than what you will get there at this place supermarket so we actually had to take a bus we we loaded up our kids they were young we went on public transit we found this supermarket we bought this chicken and it was the most amazing they had a way of infusing those juices those spices right into the very depth of the of that chicken and our mouths I mean it was just amazing every bite was flavor filled and juicy and just just an amazing amazing thing and uh, I, I hope I just got your mouth watering a little bit today and uh, on that. But, you know, another thing that I was thinking of is, I mean, who does not, I mean, who does not enjoy, in a moment of weakness, a nice jelly-filled donut? Who, who, who enjoys a jelly-filled donut? Yeah, they're pretty good. But what's one of the major complaints about a jelly-filled donut when you get your jelly-filled donut? What's the major complaint? There's not enough jelly in it. That's right. You got to have like more jelly infused into it. So, so I have a standard jelly-filled donut. Who, who said they like jelly-filled donut? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, April, help yourself. You might want to share. Sorry for the sugar that just may have have gotten you. But now, I mean, so I went to Specialty Bakery yesterday and uh, bought a nice jelly-filled donut. But then I asked the staff there, I said, can you go into the back and take one of those donuts, and I want you to infuse this thing with as much jelly as you can before it explodes. And, um, and so they're like, really? I said, yeah, pastor in a church, uh, just, you know what, there's a reason for this, believe it or not. And so this thing is weighty. I mean, this thing is pretty crazy, just how much, I mean, it's, it, I mean compared to that other one, it's, it's light stuff. This one, I mean, you even see it oozing out of the top, out of the bottom here. I mean, this thing's about ready to explode because so much of this jelly was infused into it. And so who wants this one? Um, Oh, you people are so humble and gracious. Okay, okay, you know what? You're a dad. Happy Father's Day. Um, I, I won't throw this one because we're... It, okay, there we go. Upside down and everything. Okay, enjoy that donut. Maybe just not during the service. But what I'm talking about today is there is something when you infuse something into it. When you infuse life into something that is dead. I mean, it, we have a paramedic. We have some in the medical field here in, in, in our church. And when you are able to infuse life-giving air into someone who does not have air, it can be amazing, given they haven't gone too long without air. And uh, today, in, as we get into God's Word, we're going to talk about what happens 
when the gospel infuses our lives. And this whole series in the book of Philippians is about the gospel. The Apostle Paul is gospel-obsessed. He is talking about the gospel right from the beginning of this book, and he's talking about the fruit that results from it. And, and, and there's joy, and there is peace, and there is the developing of the mind of Christ when the gospel, the reality is that I was dead in my sins, and because of Jesus, I've been made alive unto Christ. And as that truth, not just once at salvation, but continues to impact our lives and make a difference, it starts to flow out of us. And what flows out of us when the gospel is infused into us is the gospel. And it's amazing. And it, there is the power of Christ. That's where we develop the mind of Christ. We've been talking about developing the mind of Christ. A new way of thinking. Thinking biblically. Thinking with the gospel in mind. And, and the gospel, when it infuses our life, it not only grants us salvation, but unity and, and, and mission and passion. That's what happens to us corporately as, as, as we experience the gospel. And it is a beautiful thing to see that sort of thing happen here at Harvest Kelowna. May I encourage you to return to the book of Philippians often in your journey, and especially over the next little while as we've spent so much time there. Return to these truths. You can listen to the messages online if you'd like, either through iTunes or right through the website. But may I encourage you to be in the Word of God this summer. Don't take a break from it and, and, and continue to, to allow these truths that we've been talking about to impact your life. But here in verse 14, where we're picking it up today from Philippians 4, it's where we left off last week, and, and through this series, we've been going verse by verse through this passage. And just, just a reminder for you, for you, Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter, and he was writing this letter to some very dear friends of him, uh, dear friends of his the, in Philippi, about 1,300 kilometers away, and he was thanking them for the way that they shared and participated in his afflictions. And he says, it was kind of you, in verse 14, for you to share in my trouble. And grammatically, in, in Greek, this is a beautiful statement that, that he makes here, and, and, and here in English, we, we have it in the ESV, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Basically, what he is saying here is, you done good. You done good here. That would be the best way to, to, to say this in, in English. He's commending them. He's giving some thanksgiving to them here for this good thing that they have done. And, and, and God's word teaches us that we are to be thankful people. We should be some of the most thankful people on the face of this earth. Because ultimately, again, why? Because of the gospel, because of all that God has given us, because of the truths that, that we have here in the gospel and the experience in our own lives. And so we should be thankful for, be, be some of the most thankful people around. But Paul isn't just giving a mere thank you to the people here. He's wanting them to understand the impact of the gift that they had sent to him. You see, the reason he's writing this is because Epaphroditus, one of the guys from the church there, as well as no doubt a crew of others, made the trek 1,300 kilometers to bring Paul some greetings, but also to bring him a love offering, to give him a gift, because Paul had no means of supporting himself or, or getting food while he was in prison or a change of clothing. That was all relying on outside help. And so they had come by and, and, and showed up there at the prison and would have just blown him away to be able to see these old dear friends. But this was so much more Paul wanted to get through their heads. This was more than just a love offering. 
there's implications to this. And the implications were significant of this gift. How about today? When it comes to giving to the Lord's work. Here at Harvest, a few moments ago, and we do the Sunday after Sunday, we take an offering. Or you can give online, you can, can have monthly amounts deducted from uh, your bank account. Why do we do this sort of thing? Well, it's good to give to charity. And this is a good charity to give to. I always like to give to charity. So, you know, maybe this is, you know, and, and, and giving to the Lord's work, this is good. Why else do we do it? Um, well, it's the way the bills get paid. Do we do it out of obligation? Do we do it out of guilt? I guess I should, you know. Someone's going to find out. I want you to know, sidebar kind of information here, I have no clue what people give. And I am not allowed to touch money. Even it was so cute early on in, in our days here, there was one little boy after he finished in Harvest Kids and, and they, they collect an offering in Harvest Kids and he said, I missed my offering and he wanted to give me a nickel. And he says, this is for church. This is for you, pastor. And it was very awkward. And, and I said, sorry, I can't take it. And, and it might seem a little extreme, but I'm not allowed to handle money. Great policy that Harvest has and something that... that um, that, that I have appreciated all through my years of ministry, that I don't have the knowledge of what people give financially. There is no information um, th that is not for me to be concerned about or for me to know. So, so just so you know that, that that sort of thing happens. And so people sometimes, though, will give out of guilt because they will think, well, you know what, so-and-so counts money, or, or you know what, the, the leadership might find out if I'm giving or not giving, and I'll be in trouble, or whatever it might be. Well, that's not the reason why we give. That's, that's kind of a lousy motivation for giving. I remember as a kid, my parents are here today visiting from Regina, and I remember getting my allowance when they remembered to pay me. And um, not, not that I'm, I'm, I'm bitter or anything about that, but, you know, or, or when I would get paid for a job or something like that, I would often be reminded by my dad, he would say, now remember, Meldon, to give to the Lord's work. You should give a tithe. You should give 10% of that to the Lord's work. And I'm like, really? You know, and, and so sometimes maybe our motivation is just out of obedience and and especially if your dad's watching you when the offering basket goes by and you see if you keep it in your pocket or if that dime comes out or whatever it might be you know and and so so why do we give why do we give to the lord's work because this whole passage is paul thanking them for this gift that they gave to him and we're going to see some amazing truths that that happens or is giving something that we avoid is it something we don't do because we can't afford it you know, times are tough. I don't have a lot of money. I've got bills to pay. Or, or, or sometimes there's just a lot of confusion. There's a lot of unfortunate teaching in our world today. You find it all over on the internet. You may have heard it in churches, you know, to, to remember to tithe, to, to give back, to, to do some of these things. And, and sometimes some, some very unbiblical things are said about this. One time... I remember that this um, number of years ago, we had someone new to our church, and, and, and she came up to me, and she says, I've been reading online, and I've been reading a, a number of things. She says, what's this teething? I said, what? What are you talking about? What's teething? And, and then I thought, well, we had young kids at the time, and like, well, is she meaning teething? You know, like when your kids get teeth? Is that what she's talking about? And, and then she says, no, it, it, it's on the website, this, this teething. And I'm like, oh, you mean tithing, okay. Here's the understanding. Well, sometimes there's some confusion about that. And um, one of the, the things that we see in the Bible, that tithing means literally 10%. 
And in the Old Testament, God's children were required by Old Testament law to give 10% of their first fruits right off the top to the Lord's work and, and to, to the temple. And, and then there were other offerings and sacrifices on top of that, but that was just the starting point. But in the New Testament, we see the pattern of giving wasn't like that. It wasn't no longer law-based. You no longer had to do it because Jesus had come. We're in the new covenant. And so the old law, it seems, is not as necessary, you might say. But what you end up oftentimes seeing is that, is that instead of saying, woo don't have to give, as we understand the gospel and what grace has done in our lives, it makes us even more generous and more thankful when it comes to this sort of thing. And so today, oftentimes in churches, for many believers, 10% is a standard. It's not a requirement. It's not something that we are under the law like we were in Old Testament times. But for many, 10% of their income, and they say, well, is that gross or net? You know what? You figure that out. You let the Lord do that work. We're not going to get into those kind of details. But we see in 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul is instructing the Corinthian church there, because they seem to have a little bit of troubles giving, he would tell them, each one of you must decide in your own heart what you ought to give. But the pattern we see is generosity, sacrificially, and joyfully. And if you can't nail those three, it's probably better not for you to, to even give it all if it's out of grudgery or, or just out of, you know, just like, oh, I guess I, or out of guilt. The Lord doesn't want us to give in that kind of a way, but with joyful hearts. And, and so what Paul was wanting the Philippian church here to understand is that this just wasn't a donation, a nice little kind gift for, for Paul while he's in prison. There was so much more to this than an act of charity. There is greater implications here, eternal implications, not only for the person that they were giving the gift to, but also for the person who actually gives the gift. And so today we're going to talk about gospel-infused giving. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is being infused into our lives and it becomes more and more a reality and we're walking and growing with Christ, what's going to flow out of us is the gospel, it's going to affect the way that we give. And, and I trust that today you would be encouraged, you would be challenged, you would allow God's word to, to, to do that work in your life in this area. If you're doing well in this area and you understand this, may this just be a giddy up, keep going. Come on, this is awesome that we get to do this kind of a thing as believers in Christ. And this gospel-infused giving, it nets incredible results. Not only to the one receiving but the one that is given. And here's a few, few things we see right early on here in this passage in Philippians chapter 4. First of all, um, if we can go to the next, next slide, gospel-infused giving, it starts right away. And the next one, we can even put that one up there right away too. It's a partnership and it's ongoing. So right here at the start, we see three very important things from, from these verses. And so we're going to read in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's recalling how faithful they have been over the years. He's reminding of them. When I left you folks, when I left Macedonia, which is another name for, for the region of Philip or, or the region where Philippi is, when I left, you, no one entered into supporting me, but you folks did. You've been faithful right from the beginning. You were there supporting and, and helping take care of my needs. Now, 
almost 10 years later, 10 years, maybe give or take, some in there, they're still continuing to, to give and to care and to support Paul. And so we see, though, it started right away. They didn't wait for a certain time. It started right away in his giving. When he went to Thessalonica, about 95 miles away, they sent offerings to, to encourage and to support him. And you say, well, that's good. You know, th that's a good thing that, that they did that, and, and that's responsible and, and, and that. But they were probably in a good place financially. After all, they had Lydia in the church. And, and as we looked earlier, Lydia was the, was the seller of purple linen, which was very expensive and, they, and, and very pricey. And so she was, was in the sales business in that area. She was no doubt doing quite well. So, so no doubt, you know what, it probably wasn't that hard. Hey, you know, Paul's over there in Thessalonica. We better make sure he gets, you know what, some, some square meals and a nice place to stay there while he's doing the work, of, work for the Lord. So, yeah, let's just, you know what, hey, what do we have? Let's send some. No, you actually find out in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, you might want to write that one down and, and see this for yourself, that they gave to Paul, it says, in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what's happening here, they're not in a good space. There's some serious affliction going on for these people and they were in a place of poverty. But what does it talk about? They were filled with joy. They had joy even though they were in affliction. Why? Because the mind of Christ, the gospel was infusing their lives. And so what was flowing out of there was generosity to give. And so they gave to the church there, gave to, to Paul, even though times were tough for them. They were struggling. It was not easy times for them. And yet they continued to give. And see, oftentimes we come up with the excuse, well, once I get enough money, once I've kind of made it to this point, then I can start supporting the Lord's work and this can happen. I'll wait to the end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, see how much money is left over in the account and then, you know what, I'll, I'll kind of just, you know what, give the big guy a, a, little bit of, a little bit of money. You know what, again, he doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. He could, I mean, he could print some money if he wanted to and it would be legit money. He could, I mean, he could do any of that, right? But he wants what's attached to that money. It's our hearts. Our hearts are attached to that. And, and he's going for our heart. And he knows that in order to break through our heart, there, there's got to be kind of that secondary work that needs to happen in our heart. Gospel-infused giving starts right away and it continues on. And in the New Testament, we see this time and time again. When the gospel takes hold of people's lives, it shows itself in generosity. In Acts 2, we see this in the early church. I mean, they were still pretty close to being governed by the law. I mean, the switch had just started where Christ rose from the dead. He ascended up into heaven. The church begins, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're like, we're giving whatever we need. Somebody's in need, we'll sell something. We'll do this. I mean, there was just this generosity. When God's at work in the life of a people, you can tell about the health of a church oftentimes by how they give, by the generosity of, of the people there because God's at work and you just want to share. You want to give back to him. They were struggling. Uh, sometimes when we're struggling with affliction or we're struggling financially and we often circle the wagons and we think, well, I got to take care of me, got to take care of my own first and, and, and then I'll consider helping others or consider giving to the Lord's work. We have that in reverse. We cannot neglect this kind of a thing. We can't be selfish in this area we, because we know... I'm, there's. There's incredible promises we're going to get to of a God who meets every need of ours. 
but a gospel-infused life leads with joy and with generosity. God the Father set the example in how generous he has been to us as the giver of life, how he sent his son, and how Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us. That is the ultimate gift that we've been given. And as we experience and understand this truth, we are filled with amazement, with joy, and what also flows out is generosity. We have to understand that when the gospel-infused giving is happening in our lives, it's not just a mere financial transaction. If you go online, as, as I often, when it comes to giving, I do most of mine online. Um, through our website, you're able to do that, and, and it goes through to Harvest Oakville. I mean, it's not just a click the button and mm, what should it be? There's, there's a joy. There's, there's an aspect of, yes, I get to be able to support the work of God here in this city. And, and, and it's just not a, a simple transaction or the writing of a check or, or putting some, some cash in, in, in the offering. It's more than that. It's a partnership in the gospel. And even though these people live 1,300 kilometers away from Paul, they were partnering in the gospel. And we're going to see that at the very end. And it's just so exciting how them being so far away were helping to make a significant impact on the other side of for them, it would have seemed like the other side of the world. And as a church here in Kelowna, folks, we have been blessed, so blessed by the partnership in the gospel of other Harvest churches, and mainly Harvest Oakville, Harvest Oakville our sending church. Five years ago this summer, I was visiting my sister and brother-in-law in Regina who were planning, uh, who were in the midst of planting a church there in, in the city, and they're continuing on in that. And, and my sister said to Charlotte and I, you guys should consider planting a church. And we're like, you're crazy. There is no way we're doing that. I mean, that's just for silly, crazy people to do. Because I saw their lives. I saw the gift set of my brother-in-law, and I thought, I don't have that gift set. I mean, he was pouring it out for the church. He was working on the side, and I'm thinking, I can barely chew gum and walk at the same time, let alone do another job and then try to pastor and lead a church. I mean, there's just absolutely no way. Then about three years ago when I saw a harvest video of a church in Ontario that was a church plant and, and I saw them rolling out carpet on a gym floor and doing all of this setup, again, I thought that is for crazy people. Like, who would do something like that? I mean, that just, I mean, take down and set up and all that work. And look where we're at today. God has a great sense of humor. But he's also sovereign. And he is so in control. It's hard work, but it's rewarding work. Look where we're at today. The partnership we have in the gospel with other churches especially Harvest Oakville, that trailer out there filled with the supplies and everything that we have was their partnership in a Christmas offering a year and a half ago where they were saying, we want to give money, and they called the people to give money to help plant churches in Canada. There's over $80,000, probably more than that, of equipment that they gave to us. What a gift. What an absolute gift. The training that they have provided, sending me to Chicago, making sure that the distance weren't too, late, too long for me to be apart from the family, sending Charlotte and the kids down there. Again, a partnership 
in the gospel. The commitment that they have to us. I mean, um, Shayon, who's been here leading worship the last few weeks, he's, he's a university student from, from McMaster University, graduated this past year. And then uh, this summer, Harvest Oakville said, you know what, why don't you come on as a summer intern and, and, and help here at the church? He says yes to that. I think it was his first or second day on, on the job. Pastor John sat him down and said, would you consider going to, to Kelowna? For, um, for two Sundays coming up right away. I mean, he, he, he convocated one day, had the big grad celebration, jumped on the airplane to come to Kelowna the next day. And he's like, sure, I'll come, I'll serve, I'll do what's ever necessary. I mean, this summer preaching, I'm going to be away for two Sundays where, um, where we'll have some guest preachers come. They're going to bring in two of the Harvest senior pastors from some other Harvest churches here and on, uh, from here in Canada. Why? Because we, we believe about proclaiming the authority of God's word without, without apology. I mean, we, we, we stand on that. We love that truth. And, and they want to bring some of the other senior pastors so that you can get to know them, but they can also get to know our church and see what God's doing here and that partnership in the gospel. You might think that's kind of pricey. That's kind of expensive. Yeah, it is. However, the, the great thing is because that church has a lot of expenses and there's a lot of church credit cards out there, they get a lot of travel miles. So they're cashing in their travel miles this summer to send people to Kelowna to come and to help out because they are partnering in the gospel with us. So that's wonderful to have that. What a blessing. Even today, um, Matt and, and Charity are here from Harvest Oakville. She's on staff there, and they figured, hey, we're going on summer holidays. Where do we want to go for summer holidays? Let's go to Kelowna. So she is emailing me this week, said, what do you need? Is there something? Well, needed some kids for some T-shirts for Harvest Kids, for the workers, for them. And I'm like, oh, could you bring another box of those communion crackers as well? Because those are imported from the States, can't find them in Canada, and they work so well with the way that we do communion. And so she brought another box of, of crackers from the States via Harvest Oakville. Isn't that a great partnership? To, I mean, even getting communion crackers here to, to just assist us and to help us in that? I mean, what? What a blessing. These kind of partnerships. I mean, they were here even this morning helping us set up and hopefully they'll stay for takedown. You know, and uh, I mean, just all of the blessings that we have because of our, the partnership in the gospel. And even for us here as a, as a young church, 5% of our income is going to help support other Harvest Church plants. And if you put this up on the screen, I think we have a, a, a map of some of the other plants. Did we get that one? Yeah. I mean, here's different locations. And, and, and this isn't the whole list. It just, I, I, uh, there's a whole other page of, of listing of churches. I believe it's right around 119 churches. Remember in the fall, we were church 113. And now I believe it's 119 with a, a bunch more coming on the way. And so as we give our tithes, our offerings, 5% of that gets shipped around the world to help plant other churches. And the thing that's exciting in that, as time goes on, we're going to up that to 7%, 10%. We're going to continue to be faithful in our giving as a church to help plant other churches around the world. It's exciting what God is doing. We're partnering in the gospel. And so we see that when that gospel-infused giving is a partnership, but it's also ongoing. They supported Paul for over 10 years, and it's just so incredible when we can also partner with other churches, with other believers. And, and, and even here in the city, we have had opportunity to, to partner, to encourage, to support some areas of need within our own city. And we trust that as time goes on, we'll continue to look for and have those opportunities. Gospel-infused giving, moving on to our next point, brings unlimited blessing. 
when we are faithful, when we are giving with gospel-infused kind of giving, it brings unlimited blessing. Look at verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, he's not saying, you know, like, I didn't need that gift. Don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for it. But he says, I'm well supplied. Remember last week we were talking about him being content? He's used to being hungry. He's going, used to going without. He's used to having plenty in his life. And Paul's not just merely saying this, thank you to them, and, and you know, all of these kind words just to kind of butter them up to, you know, like, keep it coming. He knows God will provide. He says, you're giving to me, but wow, he says. I'm thankful for it, but are you ever going to be blessed in return? The blessing that's going to come, the increase to your credit is going to be phenomenal. And this is, now listen carefully, this is where there's oftentimes a lot of wrong, false teaching and understanding. Sometimes you'll hear, give God $50, expect $75 back. Give him $500, maybe you'll get $1,000 back. And, and sometimes, I mean, Old Testament passages will sometimes be, you know what, kind of pointed to in this, taken out of context, give God $1,500, and a $15,000 payout is going to hit you out soon. Just be ready for it. Just be ready. You'll be ready to catch it. That's not what God's Word talks about. It's not what we see here in the New Testament. God doesn't need our money, as I stated earlier, but He desires our hearts. And so often our hands are holding on so tight. And so he's saying, I want you to, to loosen your hands and the grip that so oftentimes causes you to, to want to close them. I want you to come with an open hand of generosity. What Paul is talking about here is not give $15, expect 30 back. But Paul is talking about compound, compounding spiritual interest that will be credited to you. In ways that at times you'll never even fully understand. What you get back is a greater faith and a greater understanding that Christ is in control, that he will provide. That's the kind of prosperity we can count on. That's the prosperity that is far better than having more money in your account. I just saw... Uh, Friday night, I, I saw some advertisement. I saw Lotto Max was at $43 million. And then yesterday, we were driving, and my dad noticed the, the lottery now. It said $50 million. So in one day, this, this lottery jumped by, by $7 million. And I just pity the person who wins that. You think that, oh, their life is going to be so much better when they have, I mean, could you imagine $50 million, what you do with it? No, you know, I feel sorry for you. And for so many people, it has really been a hard thing to handle when they've won money in that kind of thing. The Bible warns against fast money. And, uh, and, and that's fast money, and it destroys a lot of people. I, I remember talking to someone who, who came into millions upon millions, tens of millions of dollars. And this person said it's destroyed 
our life. It's destroyed our marriage. It has destroyed our family. We don't know who to trust. It's been so hard. And, and this person said, I'd rather be back in Saskatchewan living, on a, uh, living in a mobile home than, than what we have now because of what this has done. We often think that more money is, 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 is God's sign of blessing in our lives. No, what he is wanting to do is to give us more of himself, more of his strength, his peace, and he does that as he provides for us because we have an amazing promise we'll be getting to in a few moments. Paul is talking about this greater understanding and faith in God for him to provide. It's a prosperity that will last for eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 21, he says that when we give, when we sacrifice, we're storing up treasure in heaven. It's not just for here on this earth. I mean, just think about everything here on this earth that we work so hard for. And it's not wrong at all to enjoy life and to enjoy the way that God has provided. And we'll all do that to different standards in our lives and, and because we have different opportunities and, and, and that. But, and, and we are to enjoy this world, but we are also not to allow the world to control us. And Jesus, he makes it so clear about storing up treasures in heaven, sending it on ahead. Every once in a while you'll read something in, in, in the newspaper, see it online about um, some, some crazy ways that people want to be buried when they die because they think they can maybe take it with them and, and that. And, and I, I've heard of someone being buried in a Cadillac. And, and this one in Iowa a few years ago really got my attention. Um, this guy is being buried on his Harley Davidson motorcycle. He's dead. But he's on his bike and being lowered into the ground. He wanted to take his Harley with him into eternity. Isn't that crazy? And we think that, you know what, I'm working hard so I have a nice bike, you know what, in, in, in eternity to ride around on the pearly, you know, on the, on the streets of gold. <laughs> Can't take it with you. Thinks he can. I mean, they, they pulled it in a half-ton truck. You can go online, check it out. There's video and everything that goes along with this. And, and, and the half-ton truck, and, and they had a trailer that they pulled it on and did the little processional and out to the funeral, uh, to, to the graveyard here, and committed his body to the ground. A bike will rust. Can't take it with you. And we think, well, that's extreme. That's crazy. But in verse 18, Paul says that this kind of giving is a fragrant offering. When we give to God. Just move on to the next slide there please guys. In verse 18. There's God's provision that he gives to us. It brings blessing. And it says. A fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. When we give to him. When we give with gospel infused kind of giving. The other night I was getting ready for bed. And some nights I go to bed. Quite a bit earlier than my kids. And uh. And so I was getting ready for bed, and, and the window was open, and like at 9, 9.30, I could smell my neighbor's barbecue getting heated up. And it's not the most precious or lovely of smells to hear, smell the propane and the metal and everything, especially when you're going to bed. I thought, ooh, that's not very good, but I wanted the window open, and a little bit later, the most wonderful smell started to come into my bedroom. He must have put a big, thick juicy steak on there and the aroma that was drifting into the room was just oh this is going to be a good night to dream 
of going to the keg or going and having that nice big steak because, you know, it just smells so good. You ever get that smell of, of food where it's just like, ah, oh, it's so good. You know, when we are gospel-infused givers, it's a fragrant aroma to God. He's doesn't literally smell our offering, but what he sees rising up from that is something that he's like, oh, I love this. I love it when I see my kids being generous. I love it when I see them being filled with bold faith and to give sacrificially. In the Old Testament, they had burnt offerings, and, and that's where we get this imagery from. And as the aroma from the burnt offerings of, of worship and of thanksgiving and of for asking for forgiveness from God, as that aroma would rise up into the heavens, it was then seen as an acceptable sacrifice to God. And Paul is saying that in the same way, when we give, there's a pleasing aroma. How good this is. But it's more than a pleasing aroma. It is an act of worship. It brings ultimate blessing. It's, it's God's, it's a way that we worship him as we give to him. It is, we, we sing with our lips on a Sunday morning. We, we lift up our hands in worship. We, we use our hands to serve. But then when we give to God, that's also a way that we worship with our financial resources because that's often so attached to our hearts. And it frees us from idolatry. It teaches us faith and reliance on God. Look at how this promise continues, though, in verse 19. This is the amazing part. This is the truth you can go to the bank on. Encourage you to put this in your memory bank. I encourage you to underline it. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a promise this is. He's saying, I will meet Every one of your needs. Notice it doesn't say I'm going to meet your greeds. I'm going to meet your needs. We live in a very materialistic society that, that, that causes us to, to, to be very greedy and wanting and never being satisfied. We talked about that last week. That newer car, that, that truck, that house, that, that newer phone. Uh, just if I had a little bit more, life would be better. If I had a little more health, a little more strength, that would be good. And how important it is that we need to realize that our deepest needs are met when my heart is closely aligned to the word of God, when it is aligned to the son of God and to the spirit of God and to the purposes of God. And we can go to the bank knowing that God will supply all our needs when we are involved in giving in this way for the sake of the gospel. We have resources in heaven that are available to us. And so... Oftentimes we pray for less difficulties and more money rather than embracing what God is wanting to teach us through discipleship, what he's wanting to teach us in faith. A number of years ago in the church where we are serving, we are going into a major building project and, and uh, we were asking people to, to pray and to really talk in their homes and, and to figure out what to give as an extra over and above offering to the work that we were planning to do and the construction that was going to take place and and I remember one day as as the we were kind of bringing it all to a head one Sunday and, and people were bringing this as a declaration and as a sacrifice and a step of faith that they were taking and we we're going to have a big celebration and kind of see what all would happen with that and one of one of the ladies from the church a widow stopped by the church and and wanted to come and see me and so she came into the office and and she handed me a 
manila envelope. And this is, again, sidebar, this is the only time where I was in one of those awkward situations. And so she brought me and she said, this is for you. And I'm like, look, no, it's not. And, uh, and, and there was an amount of money there on the desk. And she said, I've been praying about it. I'm giving all my savings to you, to the work of the church here. I'm like, you're crazy. Like, you, your husband didn't have much. You folks were involved in ministry. You, he didn't leave you when he died a year and a half earlier. He left you actually with some, some, some bills to still pay. And, and it's been tough for you. And she said, no, this is what I'm doing. This is what God told me to do and to lay on, on, on my heart. And, and, and so I ended up taking it and giving it to one of our other uh, staff members who, who would deal with the money. And, um, and she told me that she said, this is it. This is everything. Is fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars? She told me that it wasn't uh, that I went and found out. And she says, "I believe God will supply my needs as I give to God. He is faithful." A little while later, her car broke down. Guess what? God is faithful. Car given to her. She's had a number of cars given to her in that time. Saw her a few weeks ago. Said, "How you doing?" And she said, "God is faithful." God is faithful. My needs are being met. He is faithful. He takes care of our needs. Finally, gospel-infused giving gives us unlimited blessing, and it's for eternity. In the final few verses of the book here, Paul is giving his farewells, and you can just quickly read over this. It just, I mean, this often happens when when you, you see relatives and they say, oh, so-and-so said to say hi to you. And you say, oh, thank you. You know what? Make sure you say hi to them again when you see them. And, and so Paul here in verse 21, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And then he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so this back and forth greeting thing is happening. And, and then this is something, though, I just love when you read between the lines where you actually pay attention to what he's saying here. And in verse 22, it says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That is just amazing. You think about it. Paul is in prison because Caesar has put him in prison, or the emperor, his name was Nero, but here he's at Caesar's household. So here he is, he's in prison, not sure if he's going to be executed. Nero seemed to like going around and, 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 and burning Christians at the stake at his, at his outdoor garden parties to, to be human torches for, while his parties were going on. This guy did not like Jesus, he did not like Christians, and Paul is in prison and he's trying to weigh out the political ramifications of, of Paul and, and all of this. And, and so Paul is waiting in prison, not sure if he's going to live or not. But what happened during this time? The gospel was infusing into Caesar's household. Remember earlier in the book, it talks about how the, 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 the Roman guard, I mean, they all heard about Paul. They were all hearing about Jesus. And so because of this partnership that the Philippian church have been a part of for all these years, allowed Paul to go and to plant churches and to do the work, allowed Paul by God's sovereign grace to be in prison, but it didn't stop him, and the gospel continued to penetrate even into Caesar's household. People were saved. 
You can't tell me that you could be a Christian for very long in Caesar's household without finding out and, find, and possibly getting into trouble for that, even pain with your life. But they didn't care because the gospel impacted their lives. And so what is happening here, because of the faithful generosity of this group of people who did not have it easy in Philippi, but because of the years of faithfulness, God used that to go into the darkest, the hardest regions of that country where the gospel would not get a very favorable voice. And you have his staff people coming to faith in Jesus. And so they're sending their greetings Say hello to the Philippian church for us. Those people are amazing. We love them. Oh, may that happen in Kelowna. Oh, may that happen through our faithful witness and our faithful sacrifice and our faithful service. We are not here for ourselves. We are not here for harvest. We're here for Jesus. And as we give ourselves ultimately to him, and as we give and we serve with open hands and open hearts in faith, the gospel will penetrate into the darkest, hardest regions of our city, of this region, of Lake Country, of Peachland, of West Kelowna, and beyond. And we are going to be able to partner with other churches around the world in taking the gospel into some of the hardest countries in the gospel where God's word is being proclaimed. We get to be a part of that. Amazing truths. So in closing this morning, I want to challenge you in this area of giving. To examine your own action and activity in light of God's word here today. You see the partnership. It starts right away. It's, it is a partnership in the gospel. It's helping to carry the load. You may never preach a sermon. But you're a partner in the gospel. And it's an ongoing work that happens. And it brings ultimate blessing. The promise that God will meet our every need. And into eternity will touch the lives of countless people. Even in your own home. This wasn't a fundraising Sunday. This is just preaching through the text of God's word. It's not because we're behind in our giving a little bit here for this year so far. It's about what God's word is telling us to do in obedience. So I encourage you to examine where you're at in that in your own life. And may this become something that you can be able to just experience God's grace and his provision. But now, if we could, I would just love to, I don't know if you can, just blank the screen because that's not even the most important thing that we're talking about here today. The most important thing, we're not talking about money or giving in that way. The most important thing is the gospel. At the end of the day, amid all of our worries about finances and jobs and educations and ministry, are we seeking Christ in all of those things? My God will meet our every need. And the reason and the motivation for giving is, it's the gospel. It's what Christ has done. Because here's the best reality, the best thing you're going to hear today. God has met our greatest need. Our greatest need, he's met it through Jesus Christ, who gave and sacrificed it all. That is the most important gift to receive, the gift of salvation. And it's a free gift. That's what will change your heart, will change your life, 
will change your eternity. The giving of money is secondary to the receiving of the gospel. And as we receive this into our life, and even as we continue to grow in the gospel truth in our life, it frees us up with great joy. The gospel oozes out, and it oozes in generosity. But today, have you trusted him as your Lord and your Savior? That's the most important thing. And to know that through the good times in life with Christ, as well as through life's hardest times, and I know I know the stories of many of you here. You've had good times in life. You've also struggled. Some of you, some of those struggles are there today. For this, we have Jesus. Remember from last week? We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the message we're here to proclaim. The message we're set on fire to want to take into our city and we'll face opposition you will face opposition the more serious you get in the gospel the more the opposition will come from various ways but don't let it deter you because he is faithful let's pray father in heaven we come to you today and we just thank you for the amazing work that you do in our lives because of jesus and the way that that changes our heart this whole series has been about developing your mind and, and that mind of, is one of generosity because we, you have been eternally, infinitely generous to us. And you continue to do that even when we fall and fail and struggle. And Jesus, I pray for each one of us here today that above all things, above our finances, and there are those who are struggling in this area and, and financially, they're, they're not sure how the needs are going to be met. May they trust you, Father. May each one of us take bold steps in our service for you, our worship for you. Lord, I dream of the day that when we take an offering, there's, there's a cheer because it's worship, and we're like, yeah, I want to give to the work. <coughs> but before that, Father, it's that heart work that you need to keep doing in our lives and may you keep doing that in and through us. Change us, transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to serve in your power and your strength knowing that you will meet our every need whether it's, it's for health or strength in areas of relationships and in family and finances, all of these things, you meet our, our greatest needs. You give us the strength and the power and I pray for brothers and sisters here today. love you, Jesus. Let's stand together and worship.